Welcome to Open Your Eyes, a podcast about opening our eyes to a new view of life. Thanks for joining us today. We're so happy that so many of you make Open Your Eyes part of your inspiration time each week. And if there were any message we'd want you to hear today, it is that you are filled with immense potential and that there's great value in you, in your future, and your efforts to improve. So I hope today you hear something that can help you get a better view of your place in the world and how you can live to your potential. And when you're done listening today, if you find some good ideas here, be sure to subscribe to this podcast so you automatically get the next podcast as it's released each week. Let's get started. Today, I'd like to talk about turning that great mess in life to greatness in life. Not long ago, I read an article entitled, America's Teenage Girls Are Not Okay. The author was making the case that rising teen anxiety is a national crisis. The Youth Risk Behavior Survey, which is published by the CDC, measures the state of teen behavior and mental health. And from 2011 to 2021, the survey found the share of teenage girls who say they experience persistent feelings of sadness or hopelessness increased from 36 to 57%. And the share of girls who say they've contemplated suicide increased 50% in the decade. The author pointed out that LGBTQ teens compared to heterosexual teens are, quote, more likely to experience poor mental health, more likely to experience unstable housing or homelessness, almost three times more likely to have misused opioids, three times more likely to consider suicide, and seven times more likely to be injured in a suicide attempt. Yet, the same article says that among teen girls, smoking is down, drug use has declined, and economic conditions have mostly improved. Yet, Anxiety has increased. And if you listen to the author, he argues, perhaps rightly so, that anxiety is at crisis levels and the teenage girl population is a mess, a bit of a great mess. You know, teenage girls are not alone. In a recent national survey, 23% of U.S. adults said yes to the following question. Have you ever been told by a doctor that you have or have had anxiety? So many of us, a large percentage of us, are a bit of a mess. And I suspect that you and I are also a bit of a great mess. I know for me, when I self-evaluate, I conclude that I have anxiety, or at least the symptoms of anxiety, and along with that comes a bit of a weight of helplessness with that conclusion, meaning I have anxiety, and is it part of my character? Is it who I am, or can I change that? And if we believe that it's part of us, we start to identify with it or let ourselves be defined by it. And do we also accept the label or the thinking that we can do nothing about it? Are we all just a mess? And are we destined to suffer from anxiety or worry or some degree of depression for the rest of our lives? You know, in my organization, we have about 750 employees, and about half of those employees are teenage or early 20-something young women. And as I've gotten to know them, 
I've noticed that some do have symptoms of anxiety. They worry. They worry what will come of their life. They worry about money, their identity, and the future. But here's the thing. The vast majority of these young women are incredibly remarkable, strong, creative, and extremely capable. And could it be that in the midst of the great mess of anxiety and worry, there is greatness waiting? For the young men and women who I work with, I am awed and impressed with the greatness they possess. The difference between the letters that spell great mess and the letters that spell greatness is only one letter. Just change the M in great mess to N and you've moved to greatness. And I've found that greatness works this way. It is learning to deal with the worries and weaknesses that we have and changing that in small ways to rise to greatness. So let's talk about how to set aside some of those messy worries or anxiety and find our greatness. Now, as we begin, there are serious underlying causes of anxiety, such as abuse, loss of a loved one, and so forth. And in these cases, they will require more in-depth care. But let's talk for a minute about the daily anxieties and worries that we all deal with. Emma was born in Scottsdale, Arizona, and as a young girl, one day she was sitting in a friend's house, and all of a sudden, she was absolutely convinced the house was on fire. Obviously, the house wasn't on fire, but nothing could convince her that she wasn't going to die. This and other worries continued to control her life, and she was generally uneasy most days and would suffer periods of extreme worry. As a result, her parents homeschooled her for two years, hoping that the secure environment there and therapy would help her rise above her anxiety. She learned that the noise in her head was exactly that, noise. And when she was a young teenager, she was enamored with acting in plays. She said she found her people at the theater and found feelings and affirmation there that made her productive. As she learned to recognize her anxiety, she later said, I drew a little green monster on my shoulder that speaks in my ear and tells me these things that aren't true. And every time I listen to it, it grows bigger. And if I listen enough, it tends to crush me, to weigh me down. But if I turn my head and keep doing what I'm doing, let it speak to me, but don't give it the credit it needs, then it shrinks down and fades away. Well, she appeared in a number of productions at the Valley Youth Theater, and as her confidence grew and her skills improved, she realized she could redirect her worries into her acting efforts. She loved acting so much that one day she prepared a PowerPoint presentation for her parents. The title of her presentation, Project Hollywood, to convince them to let her move to California and pursue an acting career. Well, her parents noticed that her acting and passion tended to have a minimizing effect on her anxiety. So, at the age of 16, she moved with her mom to an apartment in Los Angeles. She auditioned for every show on the Disney Channel, and she didn't get any of those roles. Meanwhile, she enrolled in online high school classes. Then, a few TV producers decided to bring back a classic TV show from the 70s, The Partridge Family. The Partridge Family was a sitcom about a widowed mother and five children who, as a family, embark on a music career. It ran successfully for four years and launched the career of David Cassidy. 
Well, Emma auditioned for the new Partridge family. She got the part, but the pilot episode didn't go any further. For three years, she didn't get any real meaningful parts. She got a few roles, and those few roles did help her start to get noticed. Then her big break came when she got a role in Ghosts of Girlfriends Past, a Christmas Carol sort of remake in which she starred with Matthew McConaughey, then Paper Man, then The Scarlet Letter. And a few years later, she starred in the drama The Help, and her career launched into greatness. Since, she has starred in over a dozen hits, including La La Land and 101 Dalmatians. And Emma Stone was not classically trained to act. It is her distinct personality, her brains, and her performance sense that has made her great. She says that in her experience, anxious people are mostly smart. They're also sensitive. So that gives them empathy. And it gave her empathy, which informed her acting. And it allows her to more easily step into the shoes of other people. Emma recently wrote a book entitled, I Am Bigger Than My Anxiety. And I would say the same for you and me and our children and anyone who worries. You are bigger than your worries. You are bigger than the stress and anxiety that may come your way from time to time. You know, Emma Stone teaches us a great lesson that sometimes the weaknesses we have can be turned to our good and in fact make us better because of them. This is what moving from a great mess to greatness is all about. So how do we move from great messes in life to greatness? Well, first, we can take a lesson from Emma. She may or may not have realized it as a 16-year-old, but her PowerPoint presentation to her parents was doing something that is essential to leaving our weaknesses behind. Get clear about your purpose. You may have heard the experts say, when you get clear about the person you want to become and what you want to accomplish, you will attract the things you need to make it happen. But nowadays, life seems like a smorgasbord of endless choices, and it's hard to decide what exactly we're good at and how we can contribute to a meaningful life. So we need clarity because without it, some of us wander and wander among those endless choices, and this brings on added anxiety. You know, a study done at Harvard tracked the graduating class of 1979, and it found that 84% of the class at the time they graduated had no goals at all. 13% had goals, but they hadn't written them down. 3% of the class had written goals and a written plan of action. Ten years later, the same students were resurveyed, and those that had goals and had not written them down, were earning twice as much as the 84% without goals. The 3% that were clear about their future and had written plans were earning 10 times as much as the remaining 97% combined. And more than goals, purpose has even more power to direct our life. There are huge benefits to having a defined purpose. One author says, purpose is a forward-looking directionality and intention to do something in the world. He says it's different than a goal, which can be accomplished. Wanting to be a father is a goal because it is achievable, but wanting to be a great father is more of an intention than an achievement. And this intention, when embedded in your thinking, allows you, your actions, your subconscious feelings 
to move you towards your intention. It has power. One research study asked college students to ride a north-south train corridor from one end to the other in Chicago. And what the researchers knew from prior studies is that students who rode the train got increasingly uncomfortable when the train started to fill with people from different ethnicities and backgrounds. And for the current study, what researchers did was ask the students to spend five minutes writing down their purpose in life, their intentions in life. Then these students boarded the train. They were measured along the way as to how they would react when different people started to come on board. Here's what the researchers said. The students were emotionally even keel. Their mood was not contingent on the population of the passengers around them. This is the one of the things we believe a sense of purpose gives us. It gives us a sense of psychological homeostasis. We're confronted with the ups and downs of life, but purpose is an active ingredient that helps us stay stable and avoid anxiety. I found this true in my life and in my organization. When I have a purpose, I'm more even, less anxious, and more focused on the good I'm doing. And the same for my organization. When we're connected to our purpose, we have less employee issues, more retention, and a higher level of work satisfaction. Research has also shown that purpose is not an adult phenomenon. Purpose has the same effect on young people as well. And by the way, the purpose doesn't need to be knowing what your career is going to be. It just needs to be what you're committed to doing. I believe it's easy to say no to something when you have a bigger yes burning inside you. So when you have a purpose, you can set aside your worries. Corey Tenboom said, Worrying is carrying tomorrow's load with today's strength. Carrying two days at once. It is moving tomorrow ahead of its time. Likewise, a purpose keeps today's energy on today's work and keeps tomorrow in tomorrow's place. And I believe that one powerful way to help young men and women and ourselves is to be filled with purpose. You know, Malala Yousafzai said, I know the power that a young girl carries in her heart when she has a vision and a mission. Malala is the youngest Nobel Prize winner in history. She was born in the Swat district of Pakistan to a lower middle-class family. Her family was Sunni Muslim. And like many around her, she was born at home because her parents couldn't afford a hospital. As she grew, she was educated by her father and learned to speak several languages. Her father ran a chain of private schools. And in an interview, as an 11-year-old young woman, she was interviewed by the BBC about her life in Pakistan under the Taliban's influence. She said, My mother made me breakfast and I went off to school. I was afraid of going to school because the Taliban had issued an edict banning all girls from attending school. Only 11 of the 27 girls attended class because the number decreased because of the Taliban's edict. When the Taliban prevented girls from attending school altogether, she moved to a different school. Then she was interviewed by the New York Times, the Toronto Star, and other newspapers. She got some notoriety, and she was given awards for her courage in speaking out. But on the 9th of October, 2012, a Taliban gunman shot Malala as she rode home on the bus after taking an exam. She was 15 years old at the time. 
According to the reports, a masked gunman shouted, Which one of you is Malala? Speak up, otherwise I will shoot you all. Upon being identified, Malala was shot with one bullet, which traveled 18 inches from the side of her left eye through her neck and landed in her shoulder. Two other girls were also wounded in the shooting. The murder attempt received worldwide media coverage and produced an outpouring of sympathy and anger. Protests against the shooting were held in several Pakistani cities the day after the attack, and over 2 million people signed the Right to Education Campaign's petition, which led to ratification of the first Right to Education Bill in Pakistan. On the 12th of July, 2013, on Malala's 16th birthday, she spoke at the UN to call for worldwide access to education. Later, she also met with President Obama. And sometime after that, he said, the best way to not feel hopeless is to get up and do something. Don't wait for good things to happen to you. If you go out and make some good things happen, you will fill the world with hope and you fill yourself with hope. Change is brought about because ordinary people do extraordinary things. Like Malala, a young woman, or you, or me, can be powerful when we carry a vision forward. You know, the scripture says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Stated another way, If the world is having its way with you, then perhaps it's time to open your eyes and put on a new mindset. And some of you may be trying to do something remarkable, like building a business or raising a good family or getting out of debt. And none of these things are easy. And as the saying goes, God never gives you a dream that matches your budget. And I would add, or matches your current talent or capabilities. And it is the stretching and the working that can cause some anxiety and worry. Perhaps you're worried about whether you can or will or if you'll fail. Perhaps you're worried about the work of it or the emotional ups and downs of it. Well, here's what I would say. Anything worthwhile, anything worth doing has its ups and downs. And you can do what you've set out to do. You have the talent and capability, and yes, even the emotional strength to finish what you started. So, don't let the worries of tomorrow use up the strength of today. And as the other scripture says, let tomorrow take care of itself and focus on the love and good you can do while it is still today. Next, I watch young people working in my organization, and I often have a prevailing thought, a feeling about them. And here's that feeling. They are amazing. We don't celebrate enough the cool things they do and the great ideas they have. And I believe there's something in the DNA that comes from our maker that endows us with the natural tendency, the need, the desire to celebrate good things. I believe we're naturally drawn to good things, to praise, to rejoice, to stand in awe, to shout for joy, to be grateful, to see the good in others to be a carpenter of sorts in raising those that feel less than or injured or unable or can't see what is good about them or hear the whisperings of the Spirit telling them how remarkable they really are. Young people need to hear more of this goodness, hear more celebration, more joy in their life. 
And I believe if we yielded to our natural selves and didn't take our cue from social media or the world, we would smile and celebrate all the good that young people and you do every day. In that spirit, I want to exclaim that you are remarkable. The impressions you have about your potential come from a divine source and they're filled with purpose. And that purpose is divine and you are being invited to rise. The worries you have are understandable. We all have them. We all get focused on the wrong things from time to time, but you are not meant to wallow in those worries. You are meant to live a celebrated life. You're meant to live a determined life. Ella Wheeler Wilcox said, there's no chance, no destiny, no fate that can circumvent or hinder or control the firm resolve of a determined soul. And while we're on this topic, generally, I do not believe that lowering expectations is the answer to solving the problem of the increase in anxiety in our youth today. I believe that an increase in learning, celebration, encouragement, love, and modeling positivity is much of the answer. They need high expectations and need to know what to place at the center of their life. Because without a center, there are too many things, too many choices, too many confusing alternatives. So what do you place at the center of your life? Is it God? Is it important values? Is it family? Whatever good and noble thing stands at the center, if it is good and noble, that center, that purpose will see you through many things. I know that believing in a higher power can provide a sense of direction and guidance as well as a source of strength during difficult times. It can also offer a sense of belonging and provide an identity and a place for people to come together. You know, the author of the article on anxiety that I mentioned at the start of the podcast offers four reasons for the increase in anxiety among teens today. First, it's leftover from COVID. It's COVID hangover, a pandemic bubble, if you will. Second, smartphones and social media. Research from the University of Pennsylvania shows that the most intense and negative emotions are the most likely to be posted online, while the most positive and less intense are generally not posted. So we're exposed to a disproportionate amount of negativity, which doesn't reflect reality. Third, the increase in anxiety could be caused by how women are identifying themselves. Given the prevalence of confused identity posted online, if we don't know any better, we think all the world is confused. But again, this doesn't reflect full reality. Fourth, does the increased talk about mental issues create the prevalence of more mental issues? I don't know. Surely we need to talk about it. That I do know. You know, I don't remember everything about my young adulthood, but I do remember being anxious about life and girls and my identity and a host of other things. And as an adult, I'm still anxious about things. But I have good people in my life who help me stay grounded. I have faith at the center of my life that helps me keep my view. And I believe that that can help us all deal productively with our worries and anxiety. You know, years ago, my youngest daughter's life was a bit of a great mess. And her bedroom reflected her life. 
Usually her clothes were scattered all over the floor. The bathroom was a disaster and so forth. And I used to tell the joke about her coming home from school one day. And as she walked up the stairs to her room, I yelled, your room is a mess. And she yelled back, you should see my life. And a few of her high school years were a bit rough. She had anxiety and a few health problems I didn't know about then and I'm just learning about now. And I wish I had been more aware of her needs then. And I feel guilty I didn't do more to help her. But she persevered. And partway through high school, I arranged for her and her older sister to travel to Ecuador during the summer to serve in an orphanage sponsored by the foundation funded by employees and members of my company. The orphanage is an anomaly in the region. Run by incredible Catholic nuns, the children are placed into families in which older children care for the younger children. The nuns know that when you get into families, you get into the heart. In families, the kids naturally express love and show compassion, and this is essential to a healthy human life. Well, as part of their experience that summer, my daughters were taken miles away to serve for several days at orphanages not run by the foundation. And we were only able to talk periodically on the phone, so I was always anxious to talk to them. Well, one day they called and Cammie was crying, and I asked her what was wrong. It took her several minutes to respond, but after collecting herself, she said, they won't let us hold the babies. Well, not quite understanding, I asked her, what do you mean? She said, at these government-run orphanages, they were assigned to change the diapers and feed the babies, but the women running the orphanage would not let them hold the babies. She said the babies would cry and cry with no comfort. And when I asked, well, why can't you hold the babies? She said, because they don't want the babies to create any attachments. This and the service they gave while in Ecuador was life-changing for my daughters, who now hold their own babies and their sister's babies and give their full heart to these kids. But Cammie saw something or learned something on that trip that resonated with her. She told me she wanted to spend her life helping the less fortunate. A year or two later, she was asked to go to the Philippines and spend 18 months there helping less fortunate people. When she came home, she was determined to get her degree in nonprofit management and spend her professional life helping people living in the margins of life. And she's done exactly that. But you know what I've noticed? The anxiety, the confusion that was present as a teenager in high school with her doesn't have a prevailing role in her life anymore. Sure, she gets anxious like the rest of us. She worries, but she's developed the purpose and the tools to invest herself in better things. A recent study in the Journal of Psychology showed that people who have increased compassion are happier themselves and have significantly less depression. A Johns Hopkins study shows that compassionate people are more socially connected, feel like they're part of a community. This, in and of itself, leads to a greater sense of well-being. And a large study published in the Journal of Experimental Social Psychology shows that those who are compassionate have significantly less stress and anxiety. Next, there is power in inspiration. When I was a teenager, I had more than my share of anxiety and worries. I had no money. I was concerned about my education and a host of other things. But early on in my young life, one day I was listening to a Sunday school teacher. As he spoke, he quoted a scripture 
and I turned to read that scripture along with him. And as I read along, I felt that the words that God perhaps was talking to me, I felt I was inspired. I felt I knew clearly, at least for a while, what I was to do, what I was to become. And as I followed that course, I still had issues. I still had no money, but I worried less about my education and seemed to develop some faith that if I followed the path I was on, that things would work out for my good. This was huge for me. It empowered me to take important steps in my life. It empowered me to leave behind some of my anxiety. Because of the inspiration I received, I felt faith-filled because I felt I was on an inspired path. And throughout the rest of my life, at times, I've looked for the inspired path, where I should work, what I should do. When I haven't been on that path, I've had more anxiety. And when I've been on the inspired path, I have less. So this leads me to conclude that the inspired path is paved with less worries. Arunima grew up in India. Her father was in the Indian Army and her mother a supervisor in the health department. And Arunima loved volleyball and would become a player on the national team. Then she got a call letter from the Central Industrial Security Force and as a result had to travel to begin her service there. So she boarded a train for Delhi. While on the train, a group of criminals snatched her bag, stole her jewelry, and when she fought back, they threw her out of the moving train. She said when she landed on the ground, I could not move. I remember seeing a train coming towards me. I tried to get up, but by then the train had run over my leg. I don't remember anything after that. Just as she had fallen on the adjacent train track, another train on that parallel track crushed her leg below the knee. She was rushed to the hospital and doctors amputated her leg to save her life. Well, after her amputation, she was filled with worry and anxiety about her future. She felt like her life had become a bit of a mess. While she was being treated at the India Institute of Medical Sciences, one day while learning of the story of a cricketer, Yujrav Singh, who battled cancer, she felt inspired to do something remarkable with her life. And as she pondered on her new circumstances, she felt inspired to show everyone with struggles like hers that remarkable things can be done without a leg or arm or any type of handicap. She felt inspired to climb Mount Everest. If she did complete the attempt, she would be the first woman amputee to accomplish the feat. It took her two years of training and 52 days of climbing to reach the summit, but she met her goal reaching the top of Everest. She turned her mess of a life into greatness and life. Inspiration will carry you and me to new heights and help that anxiety we carry along with us to play less of a role in our climb. So, as we end today, remember, you are bigger than your anxiety. A purpose helps you focus your energy on the good things you're doing today rather than the worries of tomorrow. It's easy to give your worries away when there's a purpose calling you forward. Let inspiration have its way with you. And watch. You will be a model for your children and team as to how to give away a bit of that anxiety, give away a bit of that mess in your life for things that are greater, for greatness that will help you rise to who and what you can be. Most of all, 
Thanks for being here today. And don't forget to share this podcast with a friend and join us next week for another podcast as we learn to open our eyes to who and what we can become. Mm -hmm.